Welcome to Her Story, Conversations with International Women. Together, we'll get to know expatriate and entrepreneur women from around the world and learn her story, her origin, family, business, goals, and dreams. We will feel with her. We'll feel heartache, grief, admiration, motivation, and inspiration because these women are raw, beautifully imperfect, and strong. When they rise, we rise too. Let's hear her story. Welcome to episode 10 of Her Story Conversations with International Women. I had the privilege and pleasure of speaking with Annika. She is an incredible woman. She is a personal coach and founder of Act to Exceed. She's a speaker for the John Maxwell team. She is the Luxembourgish ambassador for Women's Entrepreneurship Day and author of The Last Single Mom and Mom of Three. Annika is so authentic and honest. She's brave, diligent. She's so engaging and committed to what she loves, um, her family and her work. And today we are going to hear a little bit about her origin story the difficult um, upbringing she had and really just some hard times in her life where she felt very weak um, and um, this recording with her will be in two different episodes this is the first episode with her and then next week we will have the second episode which will conclude with um, a more of a happy ending um, explaining where she is today. So without further ado here is Annika and just know that although she's gone through so much so many difficult things she is a warrior and she fights. What is your origin story? Um, well, I come from Sweden. Um, I'm the oldest sister. Uh, well, I have a younger sister, a younger brother, and another younger brother, but there's a divorce somewhere in between. So, um, But I came to Luxembourg uh, 19 years ago, and every time I think of it, I just... Yeah, then you start counting how old does that make me? <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you don't incredible. look it. My, my whole adult life is almost here uh, but originally growing up um, I think when you you know you look back at your life and wonder what marked you or what is my original story what is it, mm. it the divorce is a big thing uh, when it happened it wasn't for me I don't, I don't remember it as dramatic but it definitely marked me uh, when you get adult and you start wondering why do I feel this in this situation or why am I hurting because of this so very long story short what happened was that my mother was only 27 at the time I was seven mm. and um, now I've done a lot of research and I <laughs> figured out that psychologically the worst age for a child to, lo to lose a parent quote-unquote is seven because we're our body works in seven year um, circles of right. seven so right. every seven years all our cells are renewed so as a child then that's when you're more fragile because then you're a teenager and an adult so it doesn't matter that much but 
And then the second little thing is that the worst uh, gender split sort of is a daughter losing her father. Mm. Now, I didn't lose him per se, but he disappeared out of my life. Right. Pretty much from my perspective, from one day to the other. Um, so it definitely marked me. And I thought that, uh, well, my interpretation of it was that I wasn't loved. I, I know that that's not right from uh, other family members' perspective. But from my perspective, it's, that's how I interpreted it. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say it with uh, regards to my parents. I hope they don't hear this, but um, it's also my truth. So um, I'm sure that all parents, including myself, we do as best as we can. Right. Sometimes it's not very good. Sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we just don't know how to do. Sometimes it's fantastic. But for me, as a child, uh, I needed love in a, in, a, in a language that I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear it coming to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm very physical and words. So I thought I was going to hear it. Right. But I never, I still haven't. I'm 44. I still haven't heard it. So now I know that that doesn't mean that they don't love me. Right. But, um, yeah, that is my origin story growing up. Um, then I developed strategies to get the attention, to get the love, to get acknowledged. You know, oh, you're so good. Uh, but that's, I, I, I didn't know then that that's not their love language. Not my mother's, not her new husband's, my stepfather. Um, but it was mine. So I tried harder and harder and harder and harder. So as a positive side effect, I ended up, I ended up winning a lot of things. Yeah. I ended up competing in a lot of different sports. So physically you get strong. Mm-hmm. Um, when you compete in sports, whether it's a team sport or alone, like I'm, I've competed in full contact kickboxing. So you also get the mental fortitude yes. of being better today than you were yesterday. And when you're tired, uh, like my kickboxing trainer, he would scream at me, when you think you're out and you have nothing left, you still have 20%. So when, whenever I feel like I can't wow. do this anymore, I'm, I'm out. Then I was like, okay, this is when I still have 20%, so let's do this. And someone even said, I can't remember who said it, but um, um, it was to described to me as a war scene. Uh, yeah. Second World War, mm-hmm. and they're in the trenches and they're shooting, and poof, a bomb goes off, and you lose one leg, and there you are in in the in the mud, mm-hmm. uh, thinking you're gonna die. Do they stop there and say, "Oh, I'm gonna die now"? No, they have they have twenty percent left. They crawl until mm-hmm. they get to safety, or die crawling there. But they don't stop. So, yeah, that is. Um, so the yeah the the origin story is that I thought without being fully conscious of it, but I felt that yes. I, I was trying to get seen and heard and loved a lot. And um, so, and that spread into everything, school, at home. Um, it also had some negative side effects, of course, like um, if you think that you're not lovable mm-hmm. and you think you have proof for it, like no one ever said it, Right. My parents, who are the ones who, quote-unquote, should say it, 
didn't, so that must mean they don't love me. Um, I then made a very, uh, well, I made a poor choice of partner. Right. So, of course. So, yeah. But um, that's not, that's like the next phase of my story, maybe. It's not the origin. But it's a mm. side effect that came from it. Yeah. Should we talk about that next phase then? Yeah, sure. So I would say um, being in Sweden, I went abroad a lot. So I um, I worked in California as an American Red Cross lifeguard. So I'm certified as an yeah. American Red Cross lifeguard. Uh, I studied in London. I studied uh, in Paris. So there was a lot of traveling and exploring. And then through a private school, I went to, you could put your CV in their like CV bank. And okay. at the time, the European Parliament would recruit from that list. And, uh, you know, I was, I was 22, something, 23, and I, it sounded very cool. So, <laughs> of course, I put my CV there. And then yeah. I had a job in... Gothenburg, Sweden, working working as a marketing assistant. And then I got a phone call from a lady called Malian Hernandez from the European Parliament asking me if I wanted to work um, in the Swedish translation unit. And I was like, oh, wow, how long can I think of it? And two days, she said. But I stood up, walked into my boss, and at the same time he said, can you make me a cup of coffee, please? And I said, I quit. And there was a quiet moment. And he, say, he said, you're serious, aren't you? And I said, yes, I'm moving to Luxembourg. So I went home, packed my stuff, sold some things. And then I left. I actually got on an airplane to come here without any kind of reservation or knowledge of where I was going to sleep. I didn't have accommodation. Right. Which is like, who does that? <laughs> so that uh, is very brave. I don't know if it's brave or crazy, but uh, <laughs> maybe a mix of both, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I ended up, uh, so I wore my full winter wardrobe because that's heavy. Right, just to pack everything, right? Yeah, to get like everything I needed in my backpack. I arrived on August 26th, 2000. It or was heat. a heat wave. Oh, gosh. Yes. So I was wearing winter boots up to my knee, leather pants. Oh. Yeah. And a winter, <laughs> what do you call them? Like the, yeah, the really big ones. Like, like a parka? Yes. Oh, my goodness. I thought you were just so, so sweaty. It, it, I was oh. so beyond sweating. It was like, <laughs> I didn't even, just... like in the beginning, I was like, oof. But then I was like, no, there's nothing I can do about it. So Yeah. Uh, I think it even went through the winter jacket like I had a dark yes. patch on the yes. It was insane. And uh, I got on a bus. I got off the bus. I walked all the way down to the like the valley of Luxembourg because there's a youth hostel. Mm-hmm. I can unpack everything. Like, hey, can I get a room? No, we're fully booked. And I, was almost, I almost cried. I said, can you not see that I need a shower? But I had to put it all back on, walk up the mountain, and then I didn't know how, like, where I could get another bus. So I walked all the way into the city, um, and then I I found um, the tourist office and ended up finding a hotel where I lived for three weeks. Uh, so, I, 
for me, coming from a very... Uh, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. Yeah. So living at a hotel was like the, the most luxurious thing I'd ever done. And every morning you would get breakfast served in the room. It was one petit pain, so like a tiny... Yeah, one mini baguette, yes. really tiny, with strawberry marmalade and hot chocolate. And the, the bread was so fresh out of the oven. You know, the crusty surface. Yes. But, and, then, and the soft on the inside. Yeah. And I so I put it in my mouth and I took a bite. And then after a few days, I couldn't understand why I had such pain in my mouth. But it was that bread just like... Oh, no. my palate. So, yeah. That was a... That's something I learned the hard way. Yeah, it's the culturally yeah. the bread is a little yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> hard. Uh, yeah, but for me it was um, it was very luxurious. Yeah, this baguette it was like wow. That's what rich people eat. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what I thought anyway. Uh, and then so I started working. I my life was about si- bicycling to work, working, and then um, my kickboxing. So. Uh, very, yeah, very quiet little lifestyle, uh, but preparing for competitions. So yeah, and then I went to some training, and this teacher was very um, charismatic. I've always been attracted to and drawn to strength, mm-hmm. whether it's physical strength, mental strength, any kind of strength. Um, I, just, I love it. It's um, I find it super interesting. I get it's I get curious. Yeah, uh, it's just I don't know. It's sexy. It's everything. Yeah. And he had this. Yeah, there was something about him. So he ended. He collected everyone's email, and months later, I got a message where he asked if I wanted to go out for a drink, but I don't drink. So instead of answering it that I'd love to go out and say, hey, I said, I don't drink. So very awkward. But <clears throat> that uh, ended up being the father of my children, um, which, uh, I mean, everything happens for a reason. Going into it, like I said before, the reason that he could become my partner was because I thought that just if anyone likes me that's good enough they don't have to be honest or right. kind or supportive or anything uh, if they like me then thank you so um it's just not family material he's not family material but um <clears throat> uh we had uh, a baby uh, a boy and then i left him the father because of many reasons uh, and for the sake of my children I won't go into detail but um, bad bad things and then he came to visit to look at our beautiful baby and you know look how he's all healthy and oh well and um, I believe in happy endings and I'm romantic so uh, we ended up being romantic <laughs> And that was, um, that's my twins. So in a year, we had three babies together. Wow. Yeah, so today they're 11, 11, and 12. 
Um, my 11-year-old girl thinks maybe she's 16, but she is 11. <laughs> um, so, um, but I then officially left him for the last time when my twins were one. So for the past 10 years, I've, I live in Luxembourg alone. Um, so, yeah, I, um, being alone, you know, people talk a lot about in society today that it's, it's hard to be alone and there's a lot of isolation and especially when you're an expat, you travel and you yes. live abroad and you're far from family and your security net. Um, I think, um, I think I have a pretty extreme, um, dose of knowledge and experience on that point. Yeah. Uh, and actually to the point that the, the isolation with all the, I mean, it, it's extreme to have three babies. Yes. Typically you have one. And, and all then, yeah. fairly close together. Yeah. I, I mean, mean so twins, I, had, of course. I, had, I had three in diapers. I had three, uh, like preparing the bottle for three little ones after I stopped breastfeeding the twins. So, and going shopping in a shopping mall with... Oh my goodness. Yeah. So when they were tiny, I actually put them in the caddy. Like I place, I put one sitting in the corner, one laying in one, and then I had I could only buy so much because I mean I couldn't right. cover them. Yeah. <laughs> and um, if, uh, for example, once I brought I bought strawberries, so the older one I said, "Can you hold this? this? Is very fragile," but then the others also wanted something fragile, so uh, I bought bread for like this is fragile. That's that's you know the age <laughs> when you can tell them anything, and right. they're like, "Okay, okay." But it was very special. Um, Are you very close to with your kids? Yes. I mean, I think it's impossible not to, for good and bad. So they were always with me. I could never leave them. Right. I mean, not even going to the toilet. I could. Yeah. <laughs> so still I today, still today, I can, I can I go to the ladies' room. I sit down. And then, independent of what I'm doing... They opened the door and I'm like, Mom, can I do this and that? Or can I have some milk? And I was like, I'm, 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 th- I'm on the toilet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can I have some milk? It's like, yes. Okay. And Mom, they're going to the park. It's like, can you close the door? I'm on the toilet. But did Mom, it makes no, it doesn't matter. It's like, it does to me. Can you please close the door? But they've grown up with it. So yeah. now they think that, I mean, I've <laughs> yeah. always been the same. But for me, now I see it. I mean, they, they're getting big. So I, it's, I'm working on that one to be able to actually close the door. But for example, for me to go and take a shower, mm. I, I had to carry three bundles upstairs and put them on the floor in the bathroom and quickly shower before you know, anyone would open a cupboard. Or It was very special. Very special. And... Um, I think my most extreme memory is when all, all four of us had the gastric flu. Oh, no. Yeah. So it started with one boy, and I was like, oh, dear God, please save the rest of them. Oh. And then his twin sister got it, and then the older boy got it, and then I got it. And then the first one got it again. So at the same time, we were all... I was holding one twin. I couldn't... So it was me. I couldn't lift her up because I was literally in the process of throwing up yeah and uh, her twin brother i held him and he was throwing up at the same time as me in my bathtub so her 
hers came on me and in my hair. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And then I just had to take my hair and just go bloop, 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 put it in a scrunchy thing. Yeah. And I knew there was vomit in there, but I just couldn't find it. So I was like, ah, it'll dry up. And uh, the next morning, uh, I got into the bathroom and I was like, what is that? And it was a piece of spaghetti, dried up spaghetti, oh. but oh. pukey spaghetti. Yeah. So yeah, that was very oh. special. <laughs> that was the first time in my life I took bed linen and just sort of wrapped it up all in a pile and shoved it in the... Pantry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Threw it away. Oh yeah, so, in the okay. garbage. Yeah, yeah. You're just like I'm done. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not, not, not the pantry. Outside in the bin. Like, yeah. Take this away from it's me. Not it's, even worth it to, to was try tra- to wash. <laughs> trauma. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been intense, and it actually led to me collapsing. Yeah. So I lived for three years with uh, all the burnout syndromes you can have, like tinnitus. I c- couldn't see or like flickering things. Uh, I didn't know, did I turn off the stove or right. did, did I brush my... I, I would go to bed, lay down, and you know, you check your teeth if they feel hairy. Yeah. <laughs> or like, are they clean? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. And I had, to, I had to go and touch my toothbrush to feel like if it, it was, was wet. wet. Yeah. Yes. So I was, com- I was completely burnt out. I couldn't focus on anything... Uh, I you know, what's it called when you have um, photographic memory? Um, like if I l- look at a page and I see numbers and stuff, I you just remember the image so you can repeat yes. the whole numbers. I yeah, that is a photographic memory. Yeah, yeah. I don't have that, but I I like maybe maybe a light version of it. Okay. But uh, that disappeared, so um, it was, oof, yeah, it was it was horrible. And driving in traffic. Typically, I consider myself, a, I'm very comfortable driving. I drive all over Europe. I drive to Sweden from here. It's a 16-hour drive, and I drive alone with three kids in the car. Um, but I felt like every car, every truck, every lorry, everything, they were just like almost touching me. Oh, man. Yeah, and I got... You just felt like claustrophobic. Yeah. Yes. And I got my first ever panic attack, which I thought, this is ugly to admit but I thought that something happened that's happened that happens to weak hysterical women like right. Hollywood movie kind of oh, in the bag but um, so I learned my lesson uh, but I was very fascinated the first thing the first time it happened because when you uh, compete in kickboxing there are moments there are times when you feel like I can't lift my arm anymore because there's I mean it's it's wasted, it's worn, there's acid in it, I just can't. But then with your full focus, you still can. So I'm used to being able to do, just push it, push it, push it a little bit more. Yeah. There was nothing I could do here. Uh, like the hyperventilating, I was like, okay, stop it now. But I couldn't. It was, yeah, it took, it, it, it had control of my body. And then I hyperventilated until I passed out. And then you get intoxicated by oxygen, so you you wake up looking like a tree because your fingers are all stiff. Yeah. So it was very. Yeah, it made me sad because that's when I, for the first time in my life, experienced. I'm weak, and it was new to me because I had always competed and won, 
So it was uh, yeah. it was tough. It it I think it wasn't all the other things that broke me. It was the fact that for the first time in my life, I felt yeah. I'm weak. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. And then when you call for help and you can't get it, that's when then you take uh, solitude to to a next level. Um, yeah, but I'm also grateful that it happened because it's through that journey, that process, that I ultimately found myself in a way that I, I don't think I would have. This ends part one of my conversation with Annika. Tune in next time to hear the rest of her story. And please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And remember, her story is important and yours is too. Visies.